I have 300 USB cables forever tangled in a Gordian knot in the top drawer of my desk. They have been there for half a decade, and they shall be there forever. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Popular Science's Techathlon, tech news through games, trivia, and usually friendly competitions. I'm your host, Jason Letterman, and playing along with me today are Corinne, Crystal Pepsi Iosio. You know, I know everybody thought it was gross, but I kind of liked it. No, you're wrong. Stan, clearly Canadian horror check. I miss it. I miss clearly Canadian. You're also wrong. And <laughs> Rob Serge Verger. Our whole dead dead beverage theme is pegged to Netflix bringing back new Coke as part of their marketing campaign. For Stranger for Things. Stranger yeah. Things, yeah. Uh, the, one of the, the most historic product flops of all time. First up, we're going to do something a little different. Later today is Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, or WWDC, we're recording this episode before the conference, so panel, I would love to quickly go over a few rumors and thoughts to hear what you have to say. Number one, Apple is supposedly bringing iOS and iPad apps to Macs. The project to port these apps from mobile to desktop was announced at last year's WWDC. What iOS apps would you be the most excited to bring to your computer? Apple's already done this a little bit. They've brought Apple News to the Mac. They've brought voice memos to the Mac. And that sounds good in theory, but I never use them. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll be surprised and I'll be like, oh, this is a really useful iOS app that's now on my Mac. But in reality, I'm not sure I'm going to use any. Yeah, I'm flipping through here thinking about, like, what are the things that people use their phone most for? And I'm like, are people going to be, like, swiping left and right on their computer screens? Like, who wants to see any of these pictures that big or, well, I think it's or the a, games? I don't know. The concept between this Project Marzipan, as they call it, is this idea that developers won't be developing iPad apps or Mac apps. They'll just be developing an app that will sort of work. That means stuff that you don't really think about, like mouse support on the iPad or mouse support for iPad apps. So if you want to use something like Procreate, which is a really awesome iPad drawing and art program, you kind of really can't use it on the Mac. You know, Apple's very adamant that there's not going to be a total convergence, that Mac OS and iOS uh, are always going to be separate. But they're super down with interoperability. Yeah, yeah, and as the iPad becomes more and more of a, of a computer replacement, which it kind of is, especially the Pro, which is a really excellent computer replacement, like it's going to be more important for developers who are going to be at this conference, presumably, to be able to do work one time and then have it apply to a much bigger audience. So I think we're going to get these like small benefits from this in the long run that I think it's a really good move and I'm actually kind of excited about it. I'm interested to hear more. Number two, Apple brought dark mode to Mac OS with its last update. Is the feature coming to iPhones and iPads next? Inevitable? It's not a huge lift. It's better for battery life. Like so many of the most popular social apps that we use now have active dark modes. It just it makes sense. Yeah, we're definitely going to. There's been some screenshots, purportedly leaked screenshots of dark mode running in the new iOS. And like I, I think it's going to happen now. The, a lot of the iPhones now have OLED screens, which means that dark mode will actually save battery life. It doesn't really save much battery life unless you're if you're using still an old LCD, which the um, 10R still does, but the 10S and any other iPhone 10s uses the OLED screen now. So, I mean, it's the way everything's going at the moment. It would be very surprising if they weren't at least like 
you, yeah, you can do this too. <laughs> and that's the real benefit there is like there's an aesthetic to dark mode that a lot of people like, but if it's an OLED screen, the individual pixels can turn off for the blacks, right, and save battery life. Yeah. yeah. And supposedly all future iPhone models will have OLED screens as well. Supposedly the 10R is going to be the last LCD screen that they use. RIP. And number three, this is the last one of our predictions. Two weeks ago, Apple announced an upgraded version of the MacBook Pro laptop, which included a desperately needed update to the Butterfly Switch keyboard. But we haven't seen a new Mac desktop in a while. Will we get a new version of the Mac Pro? New garbage can, anyone? I bet they don't do the garbage can thing again. No, that was a really (laughs) bad play. The last big Mac Pro wasn't actually a very large computer, but it did look like a small cylindrical black garbage can. They've specifically gone on record to say that they, I forgot what the phrase was. They like, it was like we backed ourselves into a corner with thermals or something like that. And there was some issue with the GPUs in there, whether they, it wasn't easy to expand them or something like that. Yeah, not at all. It wasn't technical issues. Yeah. yeah, That's that's like the one detail we know is that they've said the new one will be like, quote, modular Mm. in that the, the old Mac Pros was like this big giant rectangle. It was and you a could, huge tower and it had slots you could pull things in and out very easily. Yeah, yeah, you could pop the side off and get at it real easy. Everything indicates that they're going back to something like that. Great. Thank you. I think that was really helpful. I'm really looking forward to WWDC later today. Please go over to popside.com, check out all of our WWDC updates for all the latest from Apple. Let's move on to the Decathlon Decathlon 10 trivia questions to catch you up on the week's news. I'll ask our panel all about what's been happening in the tech world since our last episode. They'll buzz in to answer and get points for each question they correctly answer. They'll also have the opportunity to steal any question that their fellow panelists answer incorrectly, as long as it's not true or false or multiple choice. Whoever has the most points at the end of the game will win a fabulous prize from our dollar store bag. Let's get started. Question number one, speaking of Apple, the iPod is back. Last week, Apple announced the first new iPod model since 2015. It will be twice as fast as its predecessor thanks to the A10 chip inside the device. What was the last iPhone to use the A10 chip? Corinne? The iPhone 7? That's it, the iPhone 7. So a few years back, but still a relatively fast chip. Yeah, and it it pretty much just maps well against the way that Apple would stratify the iPod versus the iPhone, just the way that people would use it. It just doesn't need to have the latest, greatest. They're up to A12 now. Yeah, it's A12 yeah. now. But there's no reason, like, why throw a big fancy chip in a simple thing like an iPod touch? Especially when it's like you're trying – this is something that's supposed to be cheaper and more accessible, the type of device that you give to your kid when you don't want to give them an iPhone. So why would you spend a bunch of money on the latest components for it? Yeah, but most importantly, it also brings it just above the line you need to do augmented reality which is important for if you want to do all those dumb augmented reality games that kids really enjoy, probably more than adults. Like, oh, look, there's a fake dinosaur on the kitchen table. Yeah, so, like, moving up to the to this chip says that you can now do augmented reality because the old one couldn't. It couldn't handle it. Yeah, so, like, they're opening up a, the, a, basically a, an entire new audience to this whole segment of apps, which is makes total sense in a $200 device. Question number two is multiple choice. A laptop sold at auction last week for 1.345 million U.S. dollars. It's meant to be a piece of art and is titled The Persistence of Chaos, perhaps an ode to Salvador Dali's The Persistence of Memory. What makes the computer special, though, is that it's loaded with some of the worst malware to ever hit the Internet. In fact, the malicious programs on the device are estimated to have caused 95 billion U.S. dollars worth of damage around the globe. 
How many viruses are on the computer? Is it A1, B4, C6, or D9? Rob. I think it's B4. <laughs> it's not before, it's after. Oh no. It's six. This is a, a scary computer. It's a scary computer. I am still trying to wrap my head around the value. Does it make sense to you, Stan? Uh, it makes sense if you consider that all art is a scam. Right. And that every, <laughs> the person who bought this is almost certainly... Everything is worth exactly what someone will pay for it. I mean, the good news is that if you really want to get your hands on some viruses or malware, just use an old version of Windows... Don't take security precautions. Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago. You might just get the stuff for free. Or make some art and some money. Yeah. $1.345 million. Yes, it's a little bit of money. If old computers packed with viruses are worth money now, then my mom just became the most famous (laughs) art dealer. If your pants is cool. (laughs) Number three, we often discuss bad or scary AI on this podcast, but machine learning can also be super helpful for our daily lives. What new feature did Microsoft bring to Excel for iPhones last week that uses machine learning? Rob? You could take a picture of a spreadsheet and have it become a real spreadsheet in your digital device. Yeah, it can import data straight from a picture of a spreadsheet. Thank you, Computer Vision. Uh, Definitely one of the more helpful things I've heard about in a while. You find yourself needing to take a lot of pictures of a lot of spreadsheets? No, but, you know, I do have a twin brother who's an accountant who deals with spreadsheets pretty often. Yeah, okay. That's where these things really sing is, like, in the use cases. But the trouble with a program like Excel is, like, the use cases are just so boring that it's hard to get excited about. But I know that it's important and it will help people and it will speed efficiency and, you know, great for the, the computers for being able to do that. Question number four is true or false Last week, Amazon announced the Echo Show 5, a new Alexa device with a screen, which will launch later this month. True or false, the Echo Show 5 is not the smallest Echo device with a screen, but it is the cheapest. Stan. True. It's true. It's got a 5.5-inch screen, and it only costs $90. That's compared to the previous Echo Show, which cost $230.00. Had a 10.1 inch screen, or the Echo Spot has a 2.1 inch round screen for $130. They'd still have to pay me to put their camera in my house. One day they may. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't put it past Jeff Bezos. No, I, this one right. It has the little trap door though that can cover the it camera. It has the little slidey cover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Stan did a nice story about all the gadgets with screens that have cameras on them, and how do we feel about that? It's so complicated. We, we really can't decide. Like if you look at. I mean, I'm pretty decided. Yeah, but at the same time, like Google, the Nest Hub Max, which is their new one, not only is it use the camera for video chatting, but it also uses it to like recognize your face. It's and a, your gestures, yeah. Yeah, and your gestures. So it's like they're making a per, a point of saying like let this camera look all the time because you get this stuff out of it. And now Amazon is having to start like going backwards the other way and being like, well, look, you can – you can block the camera if you want. So that still doesn't block the microphone, though. It's still always listening. Well, and you can oh, you t- can shut them all off. Right? Yeah, you yeah. can shut them off with the switch. But like those switches, to me, like I think people feel good having them there, where they're like, I want to be able to turn it off. It's like a PR switch. But if you are going to turn it off, then what's the point of having it? And I don't trust people to be good enough about like, oh, I'm going to do something sensitive now. I'm going to turn it off because like then. Also, again, what's the point of having it? Right. You know, you just either commit to it or just don't do it at this point. Question number five. Last week, a Redditor got hold of the Motorola Moto Z4, the company's newest offering. 
That wouldn't be a big deal except that the phone hadn't been officially announced yet when he purchased it and uploaded an unboxing video of the unit. From which online retail site was this person able to purchase the Motorola Moto Z4? Stan. I'm just gonna guess Best Buy because it happens pretty often. It is not Best Buy. Rob. Amazon? It's Amazon. Wow. I've heard it's a popular shopping website. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, I've been there once or twice. <laughs> For a bonus point, mm -mm. what feature will the Moto Z4 have that had been taken away on previous models? Corinne. This is the stupidest answer. A keyboard. This is not a keyboard. Okay. Anyone else want to take a shot? It's a headphone jack. Oh, right. They cited customer complaints and brought back the headphone jack. You know why I said keyboard, Stan? I was picturing, like, the original Moto Droid with, like, that chunk slide out, yeah. massive mechanical keyboard thing. Oh, that I'm, phone was a The sidekick. No, no, I'm talking about the original Motorola Droid. Yeah, it was uh, huge. It slid out the bottom. It was a whole metal case. It was a honking freaking phone. Question number six is multiple choice. Google bought navigation app Waze back in 2016, which, unlike Google Maps, gives users warnings for speed limits and speed traps by police. That finally changed last week, though, when Google confirmed it was rolling out those features to Google Maps in how many countries? A, 40, B, 80, C, 160, or D, 195, which is every country on Earth. Corinne. 40? 40 is correct. About damn time, Google. I like Google I mean, Maps they, over Waze. They bought Waze, it's like three four, years ago. Three or four years ago at yeah. this point. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of time, but it's also, you know, I can appreciate them kind of slowing the roll and not wanting to completely bog down Google Maps, which is a better program than Waze. So, Do you mean from like a, a UI? From a UI yeah. perspective, I find Waze like innavigable in some ways. I think I I worry that Google Maps is going the same way now that they're putting like music controls inside of Google Maps and stuff like it feels like more and more things keep getting absorbed into Google Maps where it's like the map part of it is getting smaller and smaller all the time. And it's got to be I wonder if it's confusing sometimes for tech companies internally to know like what do we do with these two different map products that are so similar do so many things basically the same but are different in some key ways like it's going to be I don't know weird. I also think Waze is one of those companies where a lot of people don't know it's owned by Google. Like that's one – I mean I, I feel like Nest people have sort of come around on, especially after the rebranding. But like Waze is a, a really popular app that I don't, I don't know that most people know that Google actually owns it. Yeah, I think it sprung up out of Israel. It did. It was an Israeli startup. Question number seven. A new game from the Pokemon company intends, quote, to turn sleep into entertainment. The app will come with a separate device which will send data about your slumber to your smartphone, including how long you sleep for and when you wake up. What is the name of this new offering which is expected to launch ah. next year? Stan. Pokemon Sleep. Pokemon Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's amazing. the most obvious possible thing. We were chatting about this in, you know, when this news was first tweeted out last week. And it's interesting because if you think about it as sort of an extension of Pokemon Go, you start to find these interesting similarities where Pokemon Go, as annoying as it was, was a really great tool to get kids out and moving and walking around. So if you think of that as sort of a digital wellness type of application, it's like if we can trick kids into exercising, maybe we can trick them into going the hell to sleep. Yeah, and the, the lighter version of this is going to be called Pokemon Nap, I think. 
<laughs> Boo, that's not true. That's a bad joke, Rob. <laughs> Pokemon shut eye. <laughs> Pokemon next question. <laughs> Number eight, speaking of apps that will track your sleep or maybe track you while you sleep, a Washington Post investigation revealed that many popular apps are transferring data off of iPhones during the middle of the night while their owners are sleeping. In fact, had the experiment continued for a month, those apps would have given up nearly 1.5 gigabytes of data, which WAPO points out is half of the allotted data from AT&T's basic wireless plan. What app feature, which is on by default, allowed for this data transfer to occur? Rob. Is it the send reports to developers? That is not it. Stan. Uh, Use location data? Not use location data. Could be... um... Corinne. No, but that's not on by default. Damn. I was going to say automatic app updates. It's not automatic update. That's the closest, but that's not it. It's background app refresh, which allows the app to run even while it's not open. Oh, yeah. I turned that nonsense off. Yeah. Interesting. Do you turn this off? Do you let your apps just kind of run wild in the background? Mine is 100% off. Yeah, you guys know that my phone is the Wild West because I'm always <laughs> curious just to see, like, if I'm going to download an app, I'm going to use it to its maximum capacity, no matter what the great personal cost to me is. Your phone is like a mini dumpster fire? <laughs> yeah. I, the other it's a day, catastrophe. The other day, it was like, do you want to update your apps? And I was like, okay, sure. There was 175 of them <laughs> that wow. needed updates. And I had to plug it in so it wouldn't the battery wouldn't die while I was updating. Do you guys know anybody who force quits every single app after they use it? Not immediately, but I do if I'm sort of ending a session, like before I get off the subway in the morning on my way to work. Like one of the last things I do when I know we're pulling into my destinations is to kill the things that, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm not going to be playing this game again for like eight hours. That might as well go away. And I'm going to look at Twitter on my computer so this can go away. Wow. No, mine have been open. Every app I've ever opened since I got this phone is still open. Still open now. <laughs> Question number nine is true or false. Amazon finally last week added the ability to delete commands from Alexa's log. Rob. It's true if what you mean, like, you can delete your voice recordings, which it's saving. Yes, that is what I meant, and it is correct. Woo! It's an opt-in feature, though, and it only gets worse from there. I was reading this on Gizmodo. The ability is hard to find. It's, quote, buried in no fewer than four menus on the Alexa app and Amazon's website. Um, And the command to delete resets each day at midnight, so Alexa can only get rid of anything you've asked it since midnight of that day. So you have to do it every day? You have to do it every day, and if you don't do it at 11.59, it'll keep recording basically from the moment you say delete until This is nonsense. If you want to use the, like, voice one, you can say her name, please delete everything I've said today. I think you can – the plan is to do it – you can say this week, too, and this month. It would be nice. But I think that feature isn't available yet. Right. Like Google released a similar feature recently where it's like you can have it auto-delete a bunch of your data every three months that it's accumulating. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice to have a checkmark like that with Alexa. Like, hey, auto-delete this, but do it all the time, and I don't want to tell you again. Why don't you listen? anything I say. (laughs) Question number 10 is our final question of the decathlon and its multiple choice. SpaceX successfully launched the first of its Starlink satellites into space last week setting the stage for it to bring fast, affordable internet around the globe. According to its new website, Starlink.com, 
it will take approximately 24 successful launches to bring its internet service worldwide. How many successful launches will it take to run its service, quote, in the northern U.S. and Canadian latitudes? Is it A2, B4, C5, or D6? Rob. C5. Incorrect. It's D6. Okay, so we're thinking like, you know, 2087, all five of these things will be up there? They say it should be pretty soon, to be honest. Okay. Um, Like it could be in operation in the U.S. and Canada by the end of this year. So soon, in fact, that people are worried that we don't quite know exactly how it's going to affect things like the brightness of the night sky. Like astronomy. Yeah. As a field. And or the weather reporting. Like oh. what the what it might it might interfere with like the the possibility of us accurately measuring the weather. Should really do an impact study before they start throwing things into the sky. Oops, too late. They got federal permission. <laughs> Can't imagine how. Yeah, they're just gonna load up the slingshot, fire one up Here there every go. day at lunch. <laughs> All right, Rob, you won again. Congratulations to our evil tyrant. I feel like I need to apologize. Nah. No, don't apologize for winning. Your prize is you get all the hardest questions in the game I wrote later. <laughs> and also something from the bag. What is it? Oh, my gosh. It's called Get Power. It's a luminescent charge and sync cable. Watch the power flow through the cord. Oh, we've had one of these before. It glows. They're fun. It lights up and it looks like it's going from the charging base to your phone. That's the direction that it lights up. Whoa. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back after this. This episode of Techathlon is brought to you by Blue. Blue makes microphones, headphones, and other professional audio gear that's great for making podcasts. In fact, it's what we use here to make Techathlon. You can learn more about them and all of their products at bluedesigns.com. Welcome back. As I mentioned during the Decathlon, last week Apple announced the first new iPod model in four years and also possibly the last one they'll ever make. So let's reminisce about the world's once most popular MP3 player and the namesake of podcasts in this iPod edition of Don't Stat Me. It's been a long and winding road for our dear friend, the iPod. There have been a lot of versions since the first iPod Classic came out in 2001. And up until last week, I think a lot of us had really sort of left the line for dead. But now, you know, the new iPod Touch is breathing new life into it again and, you know, reminding us of some of the the ways that the iPod has changed our lives. We've got a lot of a lot of good memories, a lot of weird memories. So we're going to play a quick game of Don't Stat Me. So two questions each. And here we go. First question to you, Stan. In February 2010, a man named Louis Sulser downloaded the 10 millionth song on iTunes. His prize was a $10,000 gift card. If he blew the entire sum on just songs, would the capacity of the largest ever iPod Classic be above or below 75%? Well, let's say a lot of numbers out loud. I'm assuming that the largest ever was either 64 or 128. 10,000 songs sticks up. That those used to be the thing, like 10,000 songs in your pocket, which sounds dumb now. That sounds like old-timey, like, push your wagon down the dirt road now. I'm going to guess that it was 128 gigabytes so that it would be below 75%. It is below, but actually the largest iPod classic ever was 160 gigabytes, and this would have been it. Oh, would have hit right. about 25% capacity. I forgot that they used to do the one. The 160 was such a common... I'm so used to 128 now for memory cards. 160 points for me. Yes. All right, Rob. <laughs> Hello. 
In October 2014, in what Tim Cook called the largest album release in history, U2's Songs of Innocence became available to and often automatically downloaded on the devices of iTunes account holders. This rather famous marketing misstep, which The Edge called, quote, really punk rock, was later rolled back and U2 frontman Bono apologized. At the time, was the number of active iTunes subscribers greater or less than 250 million? I think it was greater than that number. It was. It was about a half a million at this point in time. And actually, as annoying as this marketing stunt was, it actually kind of worked. They say that about 81 million people listened to the album in the first month. Jason. Yeah. The first generation iPod, which was released in 2001, had five gigabytes of storage, which could hold a whopping 1,000 songs. Damn. It also cost $399. Today, new in-box versions of the throwback player command hefty prices on auction sites like eBay. As of this morning, was the price of a shrink-wrapped generation one iPod classic above or below $15,000? I think below, but not by much. No, you're wrong. It was above. In a listing active this morning, the price was $19,995 or best offer. The next cheapest was $10,000 or you could get a used one that works for $56. I was thinking of the of the second one. Definitely. Definitely. That's the one you you were thinking about it this morning, just a special little present to yourself. Yeah, that's the one that I was bidding on. I wasn't willing to spend the extra $9,995. I wonder if they still, like, will it still mount if you attach it? Because it attaches via FireWire 800, if I'm not mistaken. No, I don't even know if you can use the the thing anymore. Yeah, wow. Just get a dongle. There's a dongle for everything now. Stan, over the years, the iPod has represented a smaller and smaller share of Apple's total annual revenue. It peaked in 2006 at approximately 40 percent. Today, in 2019, does the iPod lineup contribute more or less than 5 percent of Apple's revenue? Less. That is correct. The estimate that I found this morning was 1.8 percent. Wow. Phones, tablets, laptop computers. Services yep. must be in there. Take that, iPod. Nobody cares. It's also it's the HomePod, man. It's just saving them. It's just going to bring it on home. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really excited to see if they mention it at this week at WWDC. I mean, are we going to say that every time? Are they going to make yeah. a HomePod Mini? I'm going to be excited every time. I think I think the HomePod Mini is the uh, Mac Pro. <laughs> All right. Next question to you, Rob. Hello. Apple has updated and stratified the iPod lineup a ton over the last 18 years. Squares, rectangles, color screens, click wheels, home buttons, no buttons? Not including special editions like the U2 iPod Classic, have there been more or less than 25 distinct iPod models? There are so many of them, but I'm going to say less than 25. It's more than 25. There are 26. Whoa. Six classics, two minis, seven nanos, four shuffles, and as of this past week, seven touches. What was the first one you had? The first one I had was, I think, the the second generation of the classic. So the first one with, like, the touch-sensitive click wheel. Oh, but, I think that's the one I had. But not the buttons. It still had the buttons, like, around the outside of the click wheel. No, I didn't have the buttons. Okay, yeah, because the first one I bought was the one with the buttons. That's the first, first one. No, I meant the, the, like, the circular buttons where there was, like, a row of four buttons above the click wheel. Oh, no, I did not have that one. Yeah, that's the one that oh, I Oh, so had. I must have had the third generation. I, I miss it. I wish I still had it. All right, Jason. 
Yes. Before Apple migrated pretty much its entire line to stable flash memory, iPods relied on spinning disks. Now, anyone who's worked out with an older iPod Classic knows that the jostling can upset the disk, called a platter, and completely mess up your tunes or just make your player completely non-functional. According to one independent study, what was the reported failure rate of spinning disk iPods above or below 25%? Below. It was below. It was supposedly 20%, which is still That was going to be my guess. Yeah, it was like one in five is not great. Not great. 20%, 20%, dear it's Lord. It's great to have a hard drive that doesn't move. Solid state drive, what up? SSD. Even when I went to my first iPod, I was coming from a disc man, so it was still a pretty considerable. <laughs> I had one a little of those, bit more stable. Those yellow sports Sony disc man, which was pretty good. Yeah. And in terms of not skipping, but like moving up to the iPod, I felt invincible. Yeah, the and then you found out you weren't, and you're like, what's going on? This is garbage. You guys all did really well. Everybody got at least one question right, but Stan got both of his questions right. I sure did. Stan Congratulations. Wins. Congratulations, Stan. Well done, Corinne. Let's move on to our final game of the episode. Last week and into the weekend, tech journalists around the world gathered in Taiwan for Computex, an annual trade show where lots of computers and electronics are revealed. Some of the names of the announced products, though, are truly bonkers. Bonkers, of course, being an initialism that stands for beyond our naming knowledge. Right, Stan? In case you haven't guessed it yet, this is going to be a game all about crazy acronyms. Yeah, so when you're talking about computers and hardware, the sheer volume of complex acronyms can make you feel like you're on the worst episode of Sesame Street ever. So in this game, we're going to test your knowledge of tech-based alphabet soup. I'll give you the acronym as well as a sentence that uses it for context. Then you tell me what the actual words are, and if you're wrong, we will LOL at you IRL. Everyone ready for GG? That means good game. (laughs) (laughs) You just made that one up, didn't you, dear? No, good game. GG. That's what Uh you say. That's what 12-year-olds say to you when they murder you in Call of Duty all the time. They say that? That's cute. They sure do. All right. I always start with Corinne, so I'm going to start with Rob. Hello. Wow, what a change. Rob, your acronym is MIMO. And here's (laughs) the sentence. 5G phones and cell towers will use MIMO tech so you can connect faster and get the edge when you're trying to snipe an eBay auction for limited edition Hummel figurines. Can you say what the letters are that go MIMO. M-I-M-O. M-I-M-O. That stands for me is (laughs) mostly overwhelmed. (laughs) It is... M- multiple in, multiple out. So it's about using multiple uh, radio antennas and r- receiver transceivers ah. in order. So like 5G phones that use millimeter wave and another one, it means they have sort of – It's like two. code switching. Yeah. You mm. have two. You think about like I.O., Google's I.O., input-output. So it's like similar right. to that idea. It is. All right. But so with some M's. <laughs> minus 20 for Rob. <laughs> Revenge! <laughs> All right. Jason, you have the next question. Yours is GPU, which I know is not an acronym. What's the difference again, Corinne? GPU. It is an acronym. It's not an an initialism. Initialisms, you say like they're a word. Like MIMO is an initialism because you say it like it's a word. NASA is an initialism. Initialism. Yep. But what's the CIA? An acronym? Yes. Yeah, because you say the letter is not a word. Mm. Gotcha. All right. Well, whatever yours is, Jason, it is GPU. Oh, come on, man. Kapoo. (laughs) <laughs> All right, here's your sentence. 
I bought a new GPU for my gaming PC rig, and it sounds like a jet engine and gets hot enough to cook a meatball and mozzarella with garlic bread, buttery seasoned crust, hot pocket. All right, well, let me go get my lunch because now I'm starving. It's a graphics processing unit. Yes, that is right. Jason's question was much easier than mine. It was, although you've written about 5G a lot, so I wasn't. I was like, oh, maybe Rob will get this one. Thanks. Thanks maybe. for the vote of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corinne. Mm-hmm. Question number three. Mm, hit me. Yours is Raid, R-A-I-D. Like the bug killer? Like your, the drive. Your sentence is, I have so many fish bootleg concert recordings, <laughs> I need several hard drives in a Raid in case one of them crashes, and I want to make my dinner guests listen to a two-hour guitar solo from MSG 2010. Okay. Um, so, again, not the roach killer. No. Okay. It's, oh, God, I know this, redundant array of independent discs. Yep. That's the one. Wow. Redundant. I feel like once you get redundant, you sort of got it. You either remember that one or you don't. It just cascades from there. I think Corinne has a raid in her brain of memories. (laughs) I got a Rob upgrade. (laughs) (laughs) It's a special new suite. You're not the only computer. (laughs) There's two cyborgs in the house now. Rob. Hello. This one is pretty reasonable. Yours is DOS. D-O-S. And your sentence is, I used to think I was cool when I knew commands I could type into the DOS prompt in Windows, but then I broke my family's computer and they were very mad. Okay. DOS. That stands for, I think the O and the S stand for operating system. They do. So is it disk operating system? It is. Oh. (laughs) Oh my God, he's so relieved. (laughs) He reverse engineered it. (laughs) Rob, you got it. I'm relieved. Okay. Jason. Yours is SRGB. Here's your sentence. Sergeba. <laughs> yes. Sregeb. The art director. Surge B. <laughs> well, it all comes back to Surge today. I know. We should go find some. <laughs> all right. Your sentence is The art director tipped his beret and asked if you had converted the image from CMYK to SRGB because that would help it display more accurately on the web. Then he smoked a long cigarette out of a weird cigarette holder. SRGB? Yes. Something red, green, blue. Well, do you want it's, to take a guess at the S? <laughs> is that something? Um, it's standard. Red, standard green, red, green, blue. It is. Yeah. That's the name mm. of the color space that your the internet is most comfortable with. This I is, better be easy because both of Jason's were easy. I feel like this is might be the easiest one on the thing, but I put it on here just in case somebody could get really embarrassed. Oh, great. Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corinne. Yours is USB. Your sample is, I have 300 USB cables forever tangled in a Gordian knot in the top drawer of my desk. They have been there for half a decade, and they shall be there forever. Um, it's... <laughs> I'm just going to give Jason a second. It's Universal Serial Bus. It sure is. Yay! <laughs> All right, Rob, you ready for this one? I am. Yours is Sim. S-I-M. Here's your sentence. I was trying to activate my new phone and eat Doritos at the same time and got some orange powder... On the SIM card. And now I can only use Wi-Fi until I have a chance to run to the Verizon store. Why does Stan mm. always make me hungry? I was starving when I wrote this. <laughs> I don't know. SIM, I feel like the M probably stands for mobile. And uh, the S and I stands for Sports Illustrated. It's Sports Illustrated Mobile. <laughs> That's what it stands for. Subscriber Identification Module card. Uh, I, so I got it wrong. Yes. It was not Sports Illustrated. <laughs> Maj. What is it? Sports Illustrated what? Mobile. Okay. Mobile. Jason, 
Yours is fat, F-A-T. <laughs> Here's your sentence. Okay. The wizard in my operating system asked <laughs> if I wanted to format my drive NTFS or FAT32, and I have no idea which one to pick, so I might move to the woods and never use my computer ever again. It stands for... Stands for fat all the time. File allocation table. There you go. I was I was never gonna get that one. Nope. <laughs> Not if you didn't know <laughs> he it. He says with the <laughs> eating grin. Yeah. All right, Corinne, you have the last question. Yours is DVI. Here's your sentence. I have every single connector I could possibly need over here except for the DVI, and that's the only one that works with this old digital projector I stole from the office. I'm really beginning to worry that our outdoor Shrek movie marathon may not happen. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, this is just a guess, but it seems to make sense. Digital video interface. Wow. Corinne on a tear. Nice. Reverse engineered it. Well done. She got it. I know that Corinne got all. Did you get all of yours right? I sure did. Yeah, then you win. I win. It's, thank you so much for not making me try and remember who else. I'm really happy that I knew Universal Serial Bus. That would have been super embarrassing after that run up. No, it but do it you know what fat means? File allocation table. Damn it. So to be, to be fair. He just said it, Jason. I wrote this game. I'd already forgotten. And I had to look some of these up three times just to be like, and, you know, there are some that you know. You either know them or you don't. Because, like, we all obviously know what a USB is. And, like, we know Rob knows what a SIM card is. Rob knows more about SIM cards than most of us. But it's like this I one. have a SIM card in my temple right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what gives me my phone number in my head. But it's so funny to, like, look at these words that we use all the time and just be like, oh, I'm, I say that all the time. And it's. You don't even know what you're talking about. I think this was a great game, Stan, and we should do it as a recurring feature called Alphabet Soup. Yeah, and then I can not have to ever play it because I suck at remembering (laughs) things. Well, thank you, Stan, for this bonkers edition of Alphabet Soup. Thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great week. We'll catch you back here next Monday for another edition of Popular Science's Techathlon. Techathlon is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people to find the show. You can buy our merch, including t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsci.threadless.com. The show is produced by the entire PopSci tech team and me, Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or opinions to share, tweet us at Show. Thanks for listening.